Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan, here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. David, I am so excited about our conversation today because we're diving deeper into your episode. Hey, 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 before you get into that, Uh-oh. I got to say something to you. What do you have to say? Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. You know, I mean, that's unbelievable. It's your birthday and you're thinking to go straight to work and not even take time to celebrate it. You know, I might even sing for you if you'd like. Happy birthday to you. No, I won't do that. Hey, I appreciate that. Thanks, David. It feels good to be young and celebrated. Uh, you didn't have to say that young part, okay? <laughs> you know, but you are pretty young. I, I agree with that. But I think I'm not going to tell everybody how old you are, but that was a nice gig. <laughs> I had to sneak one in there. Okay, today we're talking about your conversation with the legendary Bernie Marcus. And I have to tell you, this podcast episode is so savage. I mean, the guy's 93 years old, but you would think he's younger than you, the way he talks about people and how he's run his successful business. Well, I am younger than Bernie Marcus, but I have to tell you, I don't think my mind is younger than his, you know, and I think that's the point that you're making. And, you know, I just love it when I see people who just keep attacking life and keep learning and and keep trying to make a difference. And he just wrote this book. And one of the things he really wants to talk about is how to be a great philanthropist because he is renowned for all the great things that he's doing in the world. So I just love the fact that uh, Bernie Marcus is really trying to share his learnings and, and he did it on this podcast podcast in addition to his book. So, you know, really, really fun. It was very fun. And I'm excited to get your insights on some of the things that you talked to Bernie about. So let's just go ahead and get into it. All right, let's go. All right. Question number one, Bernie was the co-founder of Home Depot and he was adamant about putting the customer first. I love what he says in the interview. He said, we don't own customers. We have them on lease and it's a short lease. And he did so many things at Home Depot to put the customer first. You know, he had this very liberal return policy that you talk about. And he actually was the one answering the customer service hotline. It's so impressive how much energy he put around getting to know the customer. And my question to you, David, it's one thing for leaders at the top to have this mindset, but what advice do you have for getting your entire team to adopt this posture of always putting the customer first? Well, one of the things that you know I did is something that I know Bernie did. He knew as the leader of the organization that he had the bully pulpit. You know, what he talked about people would really listen to and, and want to respond to. And, and he talked about the importance of customers. I just love that phrase that, you know, we don't own the customer. We, we have the customer on lease. And that means you can't take the customer for granted. But he was really great at telling stories. And in fact, you know, one of the things that he did that we, we did at Young Brands was that he would always tell these uh, what I call customer maniac stories. You know, these stories where people would, you know, go out and make a customer happy, do something that was totally unexpected. And as a leader, when you see those kinds of things, you can celebrate them and, and really point those out. And, you know, it really says to the rest of the organization that, that this is something that's really important. You know, one of the things that I did using the bully pulpit as the, the leader is I always talked about how none of us would have a job if it wasn't for customers. The only reason why we exist is because we have customers. And given that fact, we've got to make their satisfaction a top priority for our company because, believe me, we wouldn't even exist if they weren't around. So, you know, that's something that I, I really talked about all the time. 
The other thing I think you need to do as a leader, as I mentioned earlier, is to recognize the people who are really doing a great job satisfying customers. You know, that's a very important behavior. And if you recognize that behavior, guess what? People will do more of it. The next thing that I always really felt was important is you have to empower people to make customers happy. You know, if there's a problem, give them the opportunity to make people happy at that point in time and you know, do whatever you need to do to get them to want to come back. Because the worst thing you can ever happen is to lose a really good customer who likes you but just gets so irritated because, you know, they're mad about the service that they got or the product they got. So, you know, I think you want the people in your organization to be empowered to take care of problems if they exist. You know, one of the things we did at our restaurants was we had a, a $10 rule. If there was a problem that could be solved for under $10 in the, in the restaurant, you had immediate opportunity to take care of that problem right then and there as a frontline employee without asking the supervisor or the restaurant manager. Just do it and, and really make that customer happy. You know, one of the things that's so important that you, you have to have if you want a customer-focused organization is you got to really listen and respond to the voice of the customer. You know, you really need to understand what their issues are. You really need to stay tuned to what they're saying. And then once you hear that they have an issue or a problem or an opportunity that you can solve, then you respond and make that happen. And that kind of sensitivity is really great. And last but not least, this is very common sense, but if you want to have an entire organization focused on the customer, listen to them yourself. I mean, set the example. Go out and talk to customers and hear what they have to say about your brands and then use that as a way how you run your business. That's so good, you know, especially for folks who might not engage with customers on a daily basis, even just reminding them that the work they do each and every day, maybe it's your development team or your tech people who aren't necessarily speaking with customers, engaging with them, even just reminding them that the work they're doing for the business is helping satisfy the customer, it puts a whole new meaning to that day-to-day -day work they have to complete. So I also feel like empowering the organization to think this way actually motivates them to do a better job. Absolutely. And I think you make such a good point. A lot of people say, well, I don't really respond to the customer. Yes, you may not respond to the customer, but what you do ultimately impacts the customer. If you're able to do your job more productively, you're going to save money and we'll be able to pass those savings back to our customers. If you're able to help somebody else be more productive so that they can do their job better, we'll ultimately be able to satisfy the customer. That mindset, I think, has to permeate throughout the organization. So even if you don't have that line of sight, you bring up a great point there. What you do really matters, and you need to do it well because it will ultimately impact customer satisfaction. All right, question number two. In the interview, you asked Bernie what his process is for coming up with groundbreaking ideas. He was kind of known as the guy at Home Depot to come up with these innovative ideas. And I want to know from you, David, what is your process for coming up with groundbreaking ideas? And do you maybe have a story about a time that you did so? Well, let me tell you something. I, I don't even think I come close to even comparing to Bernie Marcus. This guy's an absolute legend in the retail industry and one of the most creative guys to ever lead a business. And a lot of the things he did, you know, I tried to do. You know, I had a marketing background, just he had a sort of a merchandising background. But, you know, I was a marketing person and, you know, focused on customers. And that was really what he saw as his core strength as, as well. 
And what he did is he offloaded a lot of things that he wasn't necessarily the best at and had other people do it. And, you know, I did the same thing. The other thing that I had in terms of my process was, you know, I always believe that you need to have quiet time. You got to get that quiet time to reflect on what you're learning and think about the things that you can do that might really lead to a big breakthrough idea or, or some way to make your customers even happier. And, you know, the other thing that I did that was really fundamental, I think, to really coming up with big ideas is that, you know, I really understood what our customers were thinking. If there was a piece of research that was done in our company, I made sure that I really dug deep into it, really understood what the insights and actions were. Because I think as a leader, the only way you're ever going to have a groundbreaking idea is you got to really understand what the biggest problems are that need to be solved. And the only way you can do that is to listen to the customers and then ultimately respond to them. So that's the process that I had. You know, I was lucky enough in my career to come up with a few ideas that helped really grow the business. But the, the most important thing that I did was basically do the things that I just talked about. And th those will unlock ideas for you as well. Well, I know we've talked about it before, but it is worth noting again that this process led to the creation of the most epic chip flavor of all time, the Cool Ranch Doritos. So let's not forget that this process led to some really great innovations that lots of folks are enjoying <laughs> to this day. Well, I think that brings up another point that I didn't really make is that, you know, a lot of times you can get great ideas by seeing what other people are doing. In the case of Cool Ranch Doritos, I saw what people were doing in the salad dressing category. You know, when I was at Pizza Hut, you know, I saw what California Pizza Kitchen was doing. We created the Lover's Line of Pizzas. It was our way of doing specialty pizzas. You know, I really studied McDonald's and that led to us doing breakfast at Taco Bell and the fourth meal at Taco Bell where you really leverage the asset throughout the day, you know, and that came by looking at competition, which is also a, a big source of ideas. So there are all kinds of places where you can go for ideas, but you got to be open to the possibility. You got to be looking for them. And then when you hear a good one, take advantage of it. I love this approach too, because for the folks out there who might not consider themselves the most creative, you don't have to be the most creative person in the room to come up with a groundbreaking idea. Just listen to your customers, look at what your competition is doing, and figure out a way to do it better and satisfy the need in a more interesting and intriguing way. Yeah, I think, you know, the leaders in every category do two things. Number one, they block every significant competitive move. So if a competitor comes up with a great idea, you can't just let them have that space. You better come up with your version of that idea and block that move. The second thing is you got to look for ways to create more value than competition. And, you know, I'm not talking about just price value. I'm talking about the value that comes from the overall experience you have with that brand. So you got to be constantly looking for ways to create more value than your competitors. And when you do, you win. If you don't block a competitive move and you got your competition creating more value by being more innovative than you, then you are heading towards deep trouble. Well, speaking of brands that are heading towards trouble, the next question, question number three, is about Sears, which sadly failed because of their lack of innovation. One of my favorite parts of the interview is when Bernie talks about what he learned from Sears failing as a retailer. And I really just want to play this clip because the man is 93, but he is a savage and he's whip smart. And his take on this Sears failure is really insightful. Well, when we started Home Depot, Sears Roebuck was the place. That was it. The greatest paint supplier 
in the United States, they sold more paint than anybody else. And you watch what they did and you watch how they were overcome by bureaucracy, where they were strangled by decision making. You know, it was amazing. You know, if you went to them and years later, when I left two guys and I was like Esquire shoe polish, I ran the company that did that. I tried to sell Sears Roebuck. In order to put shoe polish in their store, they went through seven committees. You know, it was like painful. And one of the things I learned is that bureaucracy kills a company. You know, Arthur and I had a bathroom between the two offices and we would meet in that little corridor and we would make a monumental multi-million dollar decision in 20 minutes. We didn't go to committees. We didn't have any of those things. And we learned from the people like Sears Roebuck that that's what killed them. That's why they could never respond to a local situation. They were so bureaucratic. The people at the top were so isolated from the stores. I don't think they ever went in their stores because we would go in Sears Roebuck stores and they were painful experiences. I mean, they were, they were doing so many things that were dumb. And they didn't know about it in Chicago. They didn't have a clue of what was happening in their stores. And that's how they died. So we made it a point that we're going to be in the stores. We're going to know our business. And we learned from their stupidity on how not to do it. And many companies have disappeared off the face of the earth, like AMP. AMP was another company in the grocery business that disappeared many, many years ago for the same reason. And Sam Walton had a lot to do with that because Sam hated bureaucracy as much as I did. And we would sit and talk about bureaucracy. And Sam would say, the bureaucrats are like cockroaches. They come out at night when the lights are off. You turn the light on and there are plenty of cockroaches. You just have to keep a light on them all the time and ferret them out and get rid of them. And so even today, every company, and I'm sure Home Depot has bureaucracy, but every company has it. And you just got to be aware of it. And bureaucracy hinders success. All right. So basically, he concludes that Sears failed in part because everyone in the company was just so bureaucratic. And David, you also ran a giant company in Yum Brands, and it could have easily gotten bogged down by bureaucracy. How did you create a culture that combated this and really stayed focused on what mattered? Well, I think what's really interesting about Sears, and Bernie brings his point up, is he said he didn't think the management even liked the business. They didn't like getting out into the stores. They didn't like talking to customers. And you hear about the classic ivory tower. Well, they lived in the ivory tower. It was a Sears tower, and they never got out of it. And as a result, they isolated themselves and didn't really know what was going on in their business and thought they were big and massive and was always going to be bigger and more massive than everybody else. And meanwhile, somebody like Walmart comes in and just kicks their ass and totally redefines the industry. And I think that comes from being so insular. So one of the ways how, you know, I always tried to think about bureaucracy is I hated bureaucracy. In fact, you know, we had this phrase, wipe out big company-itis. Wherever you saw big company-itis, wipe it out. The most important thing I always talked about was we got to take this big company and act like we're small. We need to be nimble. 
you know, we need to move quickly when we hear ideas. And, you know, one of the things we did was we'd look at our measures. You know, sometimes uh, I'd look at the operations measures and we'd be measuring everything. We'd have like 30 measures. And, <laughs> and you know what? Nobody can concentrate on, on 30 things. And that's bureaucracy, you know. And so, you know, what I think you have to do is just have a disdain for bureaucracy and think about yourself differently. Like, unlike being this ivory tower corporate headquarters at Searsworth, we called our headquarters restaurant support centers. It reminded everybody what their business was all about. It, our, our job is to satisfy the people that are closest to the customers and, and help them do their job so we can make our customers ultimately happy. But bureaucracy exists, and I think whenever you see it, just recognize it and then don't walk away from it. Do something about it. Get rid of it. Wipe it out. Yeah, wipe it out. Wipe out big company-itis and, and make your company small. Gosh, when you even say that term, big company-itis, I kind of just start twinging because I used to work in a large company and I left because it was so freaking bureaucratic and it just kind of made me mad to work there because we would have these ideas, but then they would have to go through all this red tape and they never actually came to fruition. You know, another way to probably combat bureaucracy is to do what you talked about in the first question, to keep the customers first. Because if you're constantly getting feedback from customers, you can't wait 10 weeks to make a decision. You got to move quick. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And, and, you know, every company needs process and discipline around what really matters. Just make sure those processes are streamlined. And you know what? You bring up such a great point. This whole three-question episode is all about customer satisfaction. It's all about how you really make your entire organization, your entire team focused on making the customer happy so that you can really grow. And that's the only, only way that you can grow. Well, that does it for today's episode. Thank you again for tuning in to How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well. Well, thank you, Kula. And once again, happy birthday. And I want everybody to tune in Thursday for my conversation with my good friend, Dr. Holly Anderson, one of the world's most renowned cardiologists and the creator and driver of the hands-only movement for CPR. 